0: this morning, that you would be our vision, um, for us to see you for who you truly are, as your word tells us you are. Not Not the God of our imagination, not the God that our culture presents to us, maybe not even the God that some of us were raised to believe in, but the true God the living God, the God that is presented to us as he defines, as you define yourself to us in your word, that this is the God that would be our vision. We would behold, we would cherish, we would love, we would live in the proper fear of you, that you would receive the praise and the glory that's due to your name, Lord, and that we would be people who would be eager and, and joyful in giving it to you. So Lord, we are here this morning to look to you, and you've given us your word, and in, in it you are speaking to us. Help us to listen. Help us to hear what it is that you have for us today, Lord. You alone know the condition of every single heart in this room. You know what is needed, Lord. To either bring people to come to know you, to confess your name genuinely and, and to, to be saved and to give you the glory and the, and the praise for who you are and what you've done for us in Christ, and for those of us who do know you, Lord, to, to move us further along the path of conformity into the image of Christ. And we would consider that as being the best thing that could possibly happen to us. To be made like Christ, now that, that's the good life. And so Lord, give us that, that heart and that mind today, please. for your glory and for our good. we do ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Romans continues to be a, just a real blessing and wonderful study for us, and we're going to continue on in it today in chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And I titled this message, What the Child of God Finds in the Heart of God. That is a long sermon title for me. But I tried to think of, like, how do I condense this thought down into a couple words? And I really couldn't come up with a better way of trying to, ex- to put into a phrase what it is that the text is communicating to us today. What is it that the child of God finds in the heart of God? And I think that, like, for, for every single person in this room who, who is a Christian, who's a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a really good, what I'm praying for is that this is a really good, refreshing time for us this morning. As you look to what Scripture would, how, he, how Scripture defines who God is, and essentially what it is that Abraham found concerning God. I'm going to look at that this morning and then consider, like, is that what we find? Is that what you see? I know each, and I know each one of us has some sort of like mental picture of, of who God is and what he is like. And, we're, and the believer is just always under the constant um, scrutiny of whether or not our picture of God and the imagination of God in our mind is actually lines up with what we see in Scripture And it's amazing how often you can read Scripture and and go, yes, I know who this is talking about, and then just simply cruise through or glance over certain passages, never taking into consideration in real depth, never drinking really deep of the truths of God's Word and allowing it to shape the way that you think about God and who He is. Earlier this week, I read... A, a phrase of how oftentimes Christians read the Bible and we read the Bible horizontally. We go through the Bible from word to word, but the Bible's intent is to take us up. As we read through the words, we're constantly going up and looking to the author of the scripture and looking to him and finding our satisfaction, our hope, and our joy in, in, in him. Um, J.I. Packer wrote a book titled Knowing God. It's a great book. I read it early on in my Christian walk, hugely formative in what I know to be true about God from the Scripture. And he makes a distinction at the beginning of that book saying this, there is a huge difference between knowing God and knowing about God. And my, my fear is that there are plenty of people, maybe perhaps even in this room, that know a lot about God because you read the Bible and you listen to sermons and you do podcasts and you do all the stuff. And so you're accumulating all this information about what the scripture says about God and you're learning a lot of stuff about him. And that's good, we need to know a lot about him. There's a lot to know. But there is a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Knowing God is to love God, it's to trust God. It's to find him as being like your all in all, your vision. You know we sing these songs and it's like the heart that knows God is like res- resonating and going, yes, like be my vision throughout all of life versus I just I just I'm learning more stuff and we want to know we want to know God that's what it is that we see that's what we're challenged with in our text this morning regarding this figure of Abraham. I mean he becomes this central figure of study that Paul is using to, to launch, to continue to launch his argument of justification by faith, using this man, Abraham. I mean, he, he's, going for, he's going for the guy, you know, like in the Hebrew world, in the Jewish world, their guy is Abraham. He is our father, they would say. And Jesus would directly confront them and challenge them on this point in the Gospel of John repeatedly. And Paul uses Abraham this morning as the example of one who is justified by faith. And in being justified by faith, what did he see? What did he find? As a child of God, looking to God, what did he he discover about this God who had come to him and called him? Because those are the things that we see, that we find, that we discover about God. What he sees Right, God is unchanging. The God that he loved, the God that he trusted, not perfectly, but the God that he was obedient to, that's our God. If you are justified by faith, he is your God. And the more that you do know about him, the more you can know him and be drawn to worship of him. And that's our desire this morning. So let's read Romans chapter four, verses one through eight together. And then we want to look at a few things that Abraham learned that we can learn as well. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So he ends this passage with, who is the person that's truly blessed? And we want to look at that and consider that this morning. I have a little booklet. It's called A Habitual Sight of Him. And it's excerpts from Thomas Goodwin's, the Puritan Thomas Goodwin's works, which are just massive. So I've got like this little condensed version, snippets of it. And in that booklet that I have titled The Habitual Side of Him, it touches on one of Goodwin's works, which is titled The Heart of Christ in Heaven Towards Sinners on Earth. In which Goodwin takes a careful and deep look at the scriptures to say, and looking at what, is the, what do the scriptures say regarding the heart of Christ towards sinners on earth. And so he develops this habitual sight of looking to the one who finds that the heart of Christ towards sinners on earth is for them. If you are his child, the heart of Christ sits in heaven exalted above all things, ruling and reigning over all things in perfect glory and majesty and power, lacking nothing outside of himself, and yet his heart is for his children that are still here. And how could you not develop a habitual sight of, of continuing to look at the one who is so for his children? I mean, we want to spend people. I mean, just think about it. You probably like to spend time with people that are encouraging to you, that re, that remind you of what it is that God is doing and the good things about the Word of God and all the promise. And that we like we like all the feels, right? We like the good stuff, the things. And, and, and Goodwin, he formulates this, this, this view where all of life is funneled into this view of continuing to form a habitual site of the heart of Christ towards him as his child. And my encouragement for us this morning is for us to do the same thing because that is what was gained as our text says, by Abraham. The whole thing that we're talking about this morning is what it is that we see in chapter four, verse one. The question posed there, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? Um, Pretty much every other translation, instead of using the word gained, used the word found or discovered. Pretty much every other place in the scripture where this word is used, it's translated as found or discovered and contextually gained, it works, it fits, it communicates the idea. But I think looking at it in terms of what did Abraham find? What did he discover about God? Because if you're familiar with his story, and if you're not, we're going to go back and look at it here in a moment. There are things that he begins to understand and discover and find out to his gain About who God is, and we want to look at three of those things this morning. Paul's he's 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 directing his argument still to the Jews, our forefather according to the flesh. So he's still aiming his 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 um, argument towards the Jews. What shall we say is gained by Abraham? our forefather according to the flesh. Okay, so, so Jews, Abraham is our man. He's our guy. He's our father, right? He's like, he's the head of, of, uh, of our nation. And if Paul, I'm telling you, if Paul can get to them concerning the person of Abraham, then he can get to again, continue to get to the real heart of the issue. In essence, he's trying to get them to see that you are not children of Abraham in a real true sense, not like Abraham was. Abraham was a child of faith. Abraham walked by faith. And true children of Abraham walk by faith in God. That's the real issue. Paul's already made the point. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile. You are equally, all of us are equally under sin. And there is one way to be justified to be made right with God. And it is by faith and by faith alone. He's made that crystal clear. But he's continuing to press them because He's he's trying to get them to see, as he'll say later on in Romans chapter 9, man, my heart is for my countrymen. I'm trying to stir them up in jealousy so that they might see Christ for who he is. And he continues to do that this morning. But the implications are obviously for all of us. What did Abraham find? What did he discover? What was his gain as he looked to God? That's what we're challenged with this morning. He says in verse two, "For because, or for, or because, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God." The, 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 the subject matter is still justification. What did, not only what did Abraham find, about, find out about God? what did he discover about God, but what did he discover about God concerning justification? That's the issue. Like this is the gospel he's talking about. You have to get justification right in order to get the biblical gospel right. Like you cannot be justified. You cannot be declared innocent and free from guilt based upon your works. It is always by faith, and I'm telling for a lot of believers, we take this we take this doctrine for granted. So often, but I'm, I'm trying to get us to, again, see the beauty of it and the, and the centrality, the narrowness of it. There is nothing that you can do or add in order to be made right with God. It is simply by faith and by faith alone. And we'll consider, though, a little bit about what Abraham's faith looked like this morning. Before we get into um, looking at a few of the things from the text, I want us to flip back, if you will, to Genesis chapter 11. I want us to get a picture and just be, again, refreshed of Abraham's story, especially the beginning of it, because I want us to look at it like this. The question for us this morning is, what did Abraham find? What did he discover regarding God? And it has a beginning to it. And so he has this journey where his relationship with God has this beginning point. And what did he find out about God in that, in that initial moment in his relationship with God? And then what did he continue to know about God and learn about God moving forward from that moment? And kind of compare, like, is this, is this the God that we know, that we love, that we say that we worship, the one that's... Identified for us in Scripture here. Now, I'm actually going to begin in chapter 11 because I think this helps us understand the context. Um, Beginning in verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Herod fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans, And Abram and Nahor took wives, the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren, she had no child, that's important. Abram's wife, Sarai, is barren. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and, his, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Abram is not a, he's not a Christian, if you will. He's not a God worshiper. Not the true God. Um, Joshua chapter 24 verses 2 and 3 make clear to us that Abram was a pagan. He was an idol worshiper. He was no different than the people that he had lived in, the nation that he lived in. His father raised him to be a pagan idolater. And that's exactly who he was in this land and in this context which should make chapter 12, verse one of Genesis all that much more amazing. See, we know who God is because we've been read. if you've been reading through Genesis, you know who God is and what he is like and what he's done. But Abram doesn't. So often we come to the story and we go, oh yeah, everything that I know from the first 11 chapters of Genesis about God, Abram knew those things. He did not know those things. He's a pagan idolater. He's worshiping idols. And then in chapter 12 of uh, Genesis, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and on him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Verse four, so Abram went. Like, he doesn't know that this is Yahweh. He's, he's, a, he's a pagan idol worshiper, but it could have been any god, as far as he knew and was aware of, that was speaking to him. All he knew was that there was a divine deity that spoke to him and told him to do something, and so he obeys. And he goes. I don't know how God spoke to him, whether in this context was like an audible voice he heard or a dream or a vision or something like that, but it was so real to him that it compelled him to go. And I, I can't blame him if I heard a voice out of the sky or something like that too telling me, Nick, I'm going to do go here and guess what? I'm going to give you all this stuff. Sweet, let's go. I like stuff, right? But, but Abram goes forward in this initial interaction with God, and he's, he's discovered something. He's learned something about God, and it continues to build upon it. And in fact, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, that there Paul tells us that in verse 3 of Genesis 12, God preached the gospel to Abram. That when God says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, that he heard the gospel. Galatians 3 tells us that God preached the gospel to Abram. And so he goes, he goes forth with this gospel promise he's holding on to in his heart. And it would continue to grow and to take shape as he embarks on his journey and he discovers these things about God. So we wanna look at three things from our text this morning that he discovers about God. Number one, we see it in verse three. Abraham discovers that belief brings righteousness. Abraham was not justified by works. If so, he has something to boast about for what does the scripture say? In verse three, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. One thing that he discovers first off the bat is that it's nothing that he can contribute to God. God is the one that calls. God is the one that promises. God is the one that carries out. God is the one who provides. It is all God. The fact that Abraham believes in the text actually says more about God than it does about Abraham. Because what is, who, who, is, who is the hero of the story? Who is the one doing all the stuff? It's not Abraham, right? Like they looked at Abraham, the Jews looked at Abraham and thought like they actually had it written down that our father Abraham was sinless and he needed no uh, justification outside of himself for the forgiveness of his sins. This is how like sh- enshrined Abraham was in Jewish thought, that he was actually free from sin. but what it is that they what it is that we see and we discover is that Abraham's not the hero of the story god is he believes that's it god does everything else and belief is specifically in this text is contrasted with works belief is not a work Abraham cannot boast that he believes in God. He simply is told, he, he's been brought out of this pagan nation. The true God comes and speaks to him and says, go to this place. I'm gonna give you this land and this inheritance and whoever blesses you, guess what? I'm gonna bless them and whoever's against you, I'm against them too. And I'm gonna give you this, this, this seed, this offspring, and this land. Abraham goes. He believes. But I imagine that that moment in time played a formative role in his life, just like the moment in time was that God spoke to you and called you to Christ. When you think about that moment, you mindful of the day. Some people have it written down. They know the day, the year, the time, where they were. They can give you all the details. Some people are just like, I just remember kind of like the situation, but you look back upon that and you can remember when God called you and that you were, you were justified by faith. You were given a righteousness from outside of you. Maybe you couldn't connect all these theological dots, you didn't know all these things, but that's what happened. In, in, in God's activity and His doing, that's what happened. Now we're just learning information, more of like what it was that actually happened at that moment. At that moment, for me, all I knew was that I was forgiven. Like, verses 7 and 8, like, I'm blessed, I'm forgiven. I've got all my iniquities are forgiven, my transgressions, far as the east is from the west, gone. And then I continue to learn, what do I discover about God? This is what God has done. This is what he's promised. This is what he continues to do, And and, and it includes zero works on my part. Abraham believes and so he is counted to him as righteousness. But the question I think is worth asking is what did Abraham believe necessarily? Well, we already know from Genesis chapter 12 verse 3 that he believed in the gospel promise. But then we Jesus says this fascinating thing in John chapter 8 verse 56 as he's being questioned by the Pharisees and the Jews about Abraham in particular, and Abraham in John chapter eight, verse 56, he says this to them, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad that Abraham saw the Messiah. That he had been given the gospel promise right at the beginning of his walk. And that he saw the Messiah. James Montgomery Boyce, in his commentary on this passage, says, Abraham did not know his name, of course, but he was looking forward to the coming of this one individual. And it was through the channel of his faith in Jesus that God declared him to be a justified person. Here's a man called out of a pagan land. He's an unbeliever. God speaks to him, calls him, gives him the gospel promise, and then he sees the day of Christ, the Messiah, looking forward to the fruition of that promise when it was gonna come. He didn't know when, but we've gotta believe that certainly if in the beginning of God's plan of redemption in this covenant relationship with Abraham that he reveals his son to Abraham, then we've got to believe that he has revealed himself, he has revealed his son all throughout, the whole, along the whole way. I mean, Jesus is everywhere. They have this promise of the Messiah who is to come. And the belief in God's promise as he carries around this gospel is what brings him righteousness. And it's counted to him as righteousness. This is a, it's a passive verb, meaning that it comes from outside of him. It's not his, his, Being counted righteousness is not something that he does. It's actually a righteousness that comes to him from outside of him. This is what we would call imputation. That Abraham has a righteousness that is imputed to him. It's counted to him. It's accredited to him. The righteousness of Christ, his perfection, his work, is imputed to Abraham, and it's imputed to all. All of God's children who know him by faith. It's not just the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and his ascension that is so valuable, of course, to the believer, but also his perfect life lived. See, there is no righteousness to give you and I unless it is his, unless he is actually righteous. If he, if he, Sin, if Jesus sins at all at any point in the road, again, righteousness is lost and you don't have it, but because he was perfect, completely perfect all the time, thought, word, deed, emotion, I mean everything, just just pure, holy, perfection all throughout his whole life, still now reigning in, in unparalleled, Majesty and glory. He is righteous in all that in all of His ways, and that complete and pure righteousness is imputed to those who are in Christ, covering us. It's been counted to us as if you did it, and you didn't. Neither did I. This is what is so. Inc- this is really what is so wild about justification by faith. I don't contribute anything. In fact, I'm only, what's highlighted to me is what it is that I haven't done to deserve it. And what I do do, that makes me fall short of it. And in comparison to that, I see, like, the righteousness of Christ still given to me, promised to me because of his work. Like, that should never grow old for the Christian. And you watch and you read through the Gospels and you see what Jesus does and how he interacts with people and how he's, how he's working out and applying himself to our salvation so that we have something to gain. What Abraham discovered was that belief comes by righteousness. That's the same thing. or, or um, yeah, Righteousness comes by belief. That's the same thing that we learn, that we discover, that we gain you have been given a righteousness by Christ by which God looks at you. If you're you're perfect in here this morning, go ahead and raise your hand. Right, like that's the pastor's favorite question because nobody ever raises their hand. But in God's eyes, because of Christ, you can He looks at you in the perfection of his son. And you have that and you are assured of that. Secondly, what did Abraham, what did he discover, what did he gain, what did he learn? Not only belief brings righteousness, but that God justifies the ungodly. Like, don't pass over verse 5. I was talking to one of the brothers this morning. and He was saying, like John Piper says, Romans 4, 5 is, like, it's the center of the Bible. Listen to what it says. And to the one who does not work, right? So he's contrasted in verse 4. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due, right? You go to work, and you expect every week, two weeks, once a month to get what? Pay. I want to get paid for my work. That's just your due. You got this agreement with your employer. That's your due. But that's not the it is with justification. You don't work, and you still get paid. And to the and verse 5, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. What did Abraham learn? What did he discover about God? God justifies the ungodly, not the good, not the religious, not the morally upright person who's doing their best and trying hard. God justifies the pagan the ungodly person. Now, I can think of a lot of ungodly people. Jesus Christ, this, is a, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, right? You think of the ungodly, Na- the, the national ungodly, the global ungodly the personal ungodly the neighborhoodly ungodly Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners he came to justify the ungodly that was that's, that's you that's that was me and i when we've been justified by faith ungodly people, the Romans 3 people, like the unrighteous, the people who don't understand, the people who don't seek after God, the people who turn aside, the people who have become worthless, the people who don't do good, people whose throat is an open grave, who use their tongues to deceive. People whose mouth is, their, their words and their speech is poisonous and it's corrosive and it's bitter and their feet are swift to shed blood and they bring ruin and misery and they don't know peace and there's no fear of God before their eyes. Those are the people Jesus came and he saved. And if he didn't come for those people, then, 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 then we have no hope. Like if you've got to achieve something before you can say that he's come for you, then we're all Disqualified. The fact that Jesus came to justify and give his righteousness to the ungodly, that's the greatest news for you and I. And for those that we love, that don't know Christ, that we so much want them to come to know him. That's the best news. He justifies the ungodly. To know that this is God's, this is what Abraham discovered because that's what he knew was true for himself, that he was ungodly and he was justified. And having this gospel promise stored up in his heart, having seen the day of the Messiah, having known himself to be ungodly, he knew and discovered that this was what he finds in the heart of God. What does the child of God find in the heart of God? You find a God who makes it so that belief brings righteousness. You find in the heart of God one who justifies the ungodly. This is who he is. This is what he does. This is part of the reason why we're doing an evangelism Sunday school. This has been such a great reminder for for me and I think for all of us in this way that we're not, yeah, we are pilgrims. We have to have a pilgrim theology. We're making our way through this world as exiles and strangers and pilgrims until we go to be with him. But the one who captures souls is wise. So like be out there as a fisher of men capturing souls as much as God will use you to do so because God justifies the ungodly. Thirdly, not only that, not only does belief bring righteousness, not only does God justify the ungodly, but God blesses his people. It's not, it's, it would be enough if God just imputed righteousness to us and justified us, but then he goes into further detail to tell us what it is that actually God has done. What, is, what does it mean to be blessed? How often do you say that to other people? Bless you, brother. Bless you, sister. I hope you have a blessed week. We say that kind of stuff all the time, right? What are you talking about? What, is, what does it mean to be blessed? What am I, when, I'm, when I say, I hope you have a blessed week, what am I saying? I hope you get everything you want. I hope things go the way that you want them to go. Like, what does it mean to be blessed? in the eyes of God. It's biblically. Well, if you look at Romans chapter 4 verses 6, 7 and 8, you see that we're already blessed in a real very true and rich and deep sense. What did Abraham discover about God? What did he find out about God? That belief brought righteousness, that God justified him and he justifies the ungodly, and that God blesses his people. And this is what a blessing from God looks like. Verse 6, Paul has been talking about Abraham, and it's like as if that wasn't enough. He brings in David too. And again, he's bringing these two prominent people into the picture. to who they looked up to. Abraham was not justified by his works. He was justified by faith, you guys. Guess what? David, same thing. If, you, if you're really looking up to them, really look up to them and value the things that they valued. Faith, trust, love, obedience to him and being in a relationship with him. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, right? So this blessing comes to those whom God counts righteousness apart from works. This is a blessing that is reserved solely for the saved, for God's children, those who have been counted right and given a righteousness apart from works, like Abraham, like David, and David sings about it. He writes a song, he writes lots of songs. And this was one of his songs quoted from Psalm 32. And this is what he says. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Like if that is, if that is true for you, then you are blessed. I'm telling you, you have, you, you have the core, you have the meat of what it means to be blessed by God. Too often, we measure being blessed by God by unbiblical things and standards. Oh, they're so blessed by God, look at what they, look at the house they live in, look at the job they have, look at the retirement, look at all their friends, look at how well behaved their children are, look at, oh, they're so blessed. Have they had their sins covered? Do they have, like James read for us this morning in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, he remembers their sins no more? If they have that, yes, they are blessed. If they do not have that, no, they are not. I mean, they may have, like, common grace blessings. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. People have, you know, unbelievers have big houses and small houses and everything in between. But we're not talking about that type of like peripheral stuff. We're talking about like the core of, of being blessed by God. And the core of being blessed by God is number one, having your lawless deeds forgiven, your lawlessness, your disobedience, your transgression, your sinfulness. This is what it means to be blessed. This is what Abraham found to be true about God. Not only did he not contribute to his righteousness and what God had done for him, that God had, was, had done it for him all apart from him, but then he begins to see how thoroughly, that's, I guess that's how thoroughly, how deeply do you understand what it is that God has done for you in having your lawless deeds forgiven, having your sins covered, knowing that God will not count your sin against you. Like, this is, this is the position and the freedom that every Christian lives in. You do not have your sins counted against you. He does not bring them up again. If Christ has paid for them, they have, been, they have been paid in full. And there's nothing left to pay. Your lawless deeds have been forgiven, not forgotten, but atoned for. Your your, your sins have been covered, not not forgotten, but paid for. Your sins are not counted against you. They have not been forgotten, but they have been held against another. It's not as if God just took your sin and then swept it all under the rug and said, okay, you're good to go. Somebody had to do something about them and that somebody for us as believers is Christ. God didn't just make these blessings possible for us in 7 and 8 by forgetting about them. No, someone was held responsible for them. The reason why our lawless deeds are forgiven, our sins are covered, and you won't have your sins counted against you is because Christ has paid them in full on your behalf and now you you live, you enjoy the freedom, Galatians 5, for freedom's sake, Christ has set us free. You live in the freedom, John 10, God came to give us life and give it abundantly, like you live in the freedom and the fullness of the life that is yours in Christ. I'm telling you, like rejoice in it, rest in it, love it, embrace it, enjoy it, like the, the best sermons, the best books, the best podcasts, the best articles, these are, are things that come out of the mouths of people that don't just know things about God, but they know God. They read Psalm 23, and they just don't know things about a shepherd. They know the shepherd, and he shepherds them actively. And they've, they've created this, this, this habit of, of looking to him and sitting with him and listening to him and enjoying him. These are the things that we discover. Like this is what happens as we learn about God and discover things about him. You worship. You worship him. I think this is probably said best, one of the best ways by Horatio Spafford he wrote the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, and he said, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. A guy who gets, knowing him and learning about him. Now, the point of all this is being made is that Abraham discovered all this to be true about God for him. And it is passed down to all of those who have been justified by faith as well. In Galatians 3.29, Paul would say, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So this is what I think that we would, God would want us to, to know to think through, to be mindful of today. Faith is a gift that comes from God's gracious disposition, and with it comes justification, righteousness, and forgiveness. It's complete. Allow your heart to be warmed by these truths as you rest and rejoice in them and see the heart of the one in heaven for you and also to consider his disposition to you and how it should stir up in you the desire to live well for him the desire to live well for him and guess what you're going failures on the horizon you're not going to be perfect and that again are the, those are the moments where you do not look to yourself but you again look to the one who has been so gracious and good and kind to you, and to know that his heart is for his children, right? Jesus said in John 17, Father, I desire that those whom you have given to me might be with me where I am. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. He says these things because his desires for his children to be with him, and if you're his child, that is his desire for you to know that to be true about God today. That should transform the way that you interact in all of your relationships? Husbands and wives? Has what you have, have have what it is that you've discovered about God and learned to be true about Him at all seeped its way into the way that you respond to your spouse, your children? Do they know? Mom and did the kids know mom and dad? know something about Jesus because I see it in the way that they parent me, in the way that they love me, in the way that they treat me. Can your spouse say that about you? Can your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, church family members, can they say that these things are true about you? That person they know God. They sit with him. I can tell by the way that he or she speaks with me and treats me, and they're so kind and, and gracious and patient. It should seep into the way that we live. It should seep into the way that we evangelize the lost and have a desire to see the lost come to know Christ. It should show itself in the way that we live out every every area of our life and how the saving way is practical and how it can be applied to us. We're going to continue on next week in looking at Abraham, and we'll see an example of that. How did the one who learned these things about God then live his life for God? This is the time where we're going to partake of communion together. And again, this time of communion is for those who know Christ by faith and by faith alone. And so this is a time of worship, time of rejoicing, but it's also a time of examination and confession to him as well, and then resting in the assurance of the, pro- of the pardon that he provides for you. And so if, you're, if you know Christ by faith and you are a visitor here today, you are welcome to partake of the communion time but if you are not a believer in Christ by faith and by faith alone, what are you standing on? What are you relying upon and depending upon to, to, to be made right and reconciled with him? Consider that and consider the shifting sand that it is and how it will not support you as you stand before him. And hear his voice calling and all the things that we've talked about this morning are, are there They are there and they are for those who are in him, full and complete, with no lack. So the elements are on the tables behind you, and you can get one of each of those and return back to your seat, and you'll have some time of just prayer, personal prayer, meditation. We'll partake of communion together here shortly.